Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Welcome back, guys. It's another show. It is November 2022, and this is TV Talkaholics. I'm David. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. So, what you been up to lately? Had COVID. Did you? <laughs> Isn't it funny how we can just say that casually now? What's a, Oh, I had COVID. That's... Yeah, I don't know how funny it is, but... Well, I think welcome. Let's put it that way. As opposed to a person can say, I had or I have COVID. There was a time when it was like, oh, fuck. But, you know, not that I didn't do that when I saw you post on social medias that you had caught it. But I was checking in, making sure you was okay. And uh, and look at you. You look fabulous. You're the picture of of perfect health now. Look at you. Yeah. So, well, I think you're going to find that deep, voluptuous, raspy, rattly voice is going to serve you well because this month I am so goddamn excited. We are talking about Maud and not just any episode of Maud. We are talking about the abortion episode, Maud's Dilemma. Had you seen this before, Matthew? Oh, yeah. You had? Mm-hmm. If I did, I don't remember it. It might have been like a decade ago or so, but uh, it is it is in discussion again. It's come back into uh, our consciousness because we just had the Norman Lear 100th birthday special, which is on Hulu, which is quite lovely, actually. So I want me to talk about Maude a little nutsy and boltsy here. <laughs> About explain to our audience what the TV show Mod is because I'm sure they have no idea. How about it? <laughs> Mod ran for six seasons on CBS from 1972 to 1978, 141 episodes total. This is adapted from Wikipedia, just for simplicity's sake. Maud stars B. Arthur as Maud Finley, an outspoken middle-aged politically liberal woman living in suburban Tuckahoe, New York, with her fourth husband, household appliance store owner, Walter Finley, played by Bill Macy. Tuckahoe is a real place. It's about 40 minutes away from Peekskill. It is closer to the city, to Manhattan, than Peekskill is. So it's kind of a nicer suburb of of the big city. Uh, Also living with Maude are her divorced daughter, Carol, played by Adrienne Barbeau, and Carol's eight-year-old son, Philip. Her next-door neighbor is Arthur, a doctor who is sardonic, outspoken, and Republican, played by our friend and yours, Conrad Bain, and Maude's best friend, is his wife, the sweet but scatterbrained Vivian, played by Rue McClanahan. It was a Norman Lear production. It was a spinoff of All in the Family. Maud is Edith Bunker's cousin. And this was intended to be the sort of flip side to the Archie Bunker coin. You have this urban male conservative point of view being espoused by Archie Bunker. Well, this is the suburban female liberal mirror image to that. The show ran on Tuesday nights on CBS. Season one came in at number four in the Nielsen's. Season two, number six. Season three, number nine. Season four, it was number four again. In its fourth season, it did as well as its first season. 
And then season five, 31. That's because it had been paired up with Rhoda and Phyllis on Tuesday nights. And that was the season that Phyllis was completing its run and Rhoda was doing the divorce season, which we discussed when we talked about Phyllis, how those shows were being retooled and not successfully and mods rating suffered. And then by season six, those other shows had been canceled and the lead into mod was Logan's run in the 77, 78 season. So wrong lead in show. So by this time mod on at nine o'clock, it came in at number 75. And at this point, Maud was running for public office. They actually were talking about retooling the show so that she would become some type of a governmental political figure. And B. Arthur thankfully said, guys, no, let's just, let's not. And uh, rightfully so. It's according to the reports. It's she said, let's, let, why would we retool and completely make this show into another show and think that's going to make things better? She was actually very smart that way. So this show we're talking about, Maud's Dilemma, was actually a two-parter. It ran on November 14th of 1972. That was uh, part one. And then part two was the following week, November 21st of 1972. And uh, this was season one, episodes nine and 10. This season, talk about coming in hot and hard, huh? And Maud was the first spinoff of All in the Family. We didn't have the Jeffersons yet. In fact, uh, it was because of Good Times, which would be a spinoff of this, that the Jeffersons happened because Norman Lear, in talking with uh, leaders in the Black community who were upset that Good Times was portraying a poor Black family, he said, well, I could show a rich Black family in another show. And that's where he came up with uh, spinning off the Jeffersons. So this is the first, it's not like Norman Lear had three or four hit shows. And at this point could swing his cock around the network and say, well, you don't like it, go fuck yourselves. The one thing he did have was all in the family was number one, numero uno. And uh, that was a big, big deal for CBS. So um, in the interviews that he did on that birthday special that just ran, that you can still watch on Hulu, his 100th birthday, he talks about, you know, kind of just in passing, he just said, well, I just told them if they didn't do it, I was walking. And it's like, okay, I feel like you might not have actually done that, but whatever, revisionist history. 1972, Matthew. Mm. I did a little research as to what other shows were on the other networks to see what Maude was up against. Now, Maude was on at 8 p.m. That's the other thing. We are in season one of this new show hitting this subject matter, and it's on at eight o'clock. It's not even, you would have thought it would have been a nine o'clock show, but no, 8 p.m. on ABC. Opposite it was a show called Temperatures Rising, which is a show that ran for two seasons uh, created by William Asher and Harry Ackerman. Those are the bewitched guys. And it was a show that starred James Whitmore, Cleavon Little, Joan Van Ark, uh, about the antics in a hospital. In the second season, James Whitmore was replaced with Paul Lind, like you do. Mm. Then at 8.30 p.m. was a drama called Strangers in 7A with, get this, Andy Griffith and Ida Lupino. That was uh, that was a movie. This is on the the fourteenth, the episode, the first episode broadcast, and then at ten o'clock p.m., Marcus Welby. Marcus Welby was running at this point with the wonderful Buddy Ebsen 
Mm. Now on NBC, opposite mod, I, I couldn't believe this, Matthew. 8 p.m., Bonanza. Oh, uh, yeah. Bonanza. I forget that Bonanza ran forever. This was its final season, the 14th season. Jesus. Exactly. This is like... um. It's like Grey's Anatomy, where you're like, what? Is that show still on? It's, it's been on for 14. What? Fuck? Holy shit. And then at 9 p.m. was a show called The Bold Ones, The New Doctors, with David Hartman, E.G. Marshall, and John Saxon. Mm, damn, John Saxon was fine back in the 70s. And then Maud, of course, at 8 p.m. was followed at 8.30 by Hawaii Five O, the original. And then uh, at 9 p.m. was a movie Victim, a thriller with Elizabeth Montgomery. This is in the early 70s when Elizabeth Montgomery was doing all of her her thrillers and her rape movies and really hitting hard that she was a dramatical actress after being in Bewitched for so long. Uh, And Bewitched would have just been going off the air in 72. Bewitched, I think, was still running or uh, had just ended. And uh, the following week, there wasn't much of uh, anything to report, but that's just giving you an idea of the landscape. And and remember, three networks, 1972. So we're in the days of, if you didn't watch it, you knew about it. Part one was directed by Bill Hoban, and part two was directed by Hal Cooper. Bill Hoban only did nine episodes. The majority of them were directed by Hal Cooper. You see his name all over it. And the episodes, the story was by Austin and Irma Kalish. And the teleplay was by uh, a writer (laughs) that you may have heard of a little something, Susan Harris. We talked about Susan Harris before on Let's Face the Facts, how it's like, holy shit, she wrote this, this landmark episode. And uh, just it's just mind-blowing. And when you think that this episode we will talk about is the introduction of Rue McClanahan to the series. We have Susan Harris, Rue McClanahan, and B. Arthur all together, I think for the first time, uh, artistically collaborating. And who would have ever imagined at this point that the Golden Girls would have been coming down the pike to kind of blow up our pop culture and our TV screens. Um, I'm, I'm tired of talking, uh, believe it or not. So before we do the synopsis, Let's just give some overall thoughts, thoughts and ideas. What did you think of when you saw this? Mod is a lot. It's it's very broad. And mm. you get B. Arthur at her shouting his best. It, it's like nobody said, B, you have a microphone. And, that, <laughs> and that's why I've always kind of like, I could never really get into Mod because it's just, I feel like B. Arthur's just shouting all the time and just everything is so big and so she's playing to the third balcony like later on in this episode the doorbell rings and 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 rather than just like oh the doorbell and heading towards the doorbell it's the doorbell rings and you get this huge reaction from me like what is that like she's never heard the goddamn doorbell before and (laughs) just everything is so big and I just I could never really get into Maude and as much as I love B. Arthur and all that stuff. And I just could never really get into it because it was just always so like, duh, like I just needed to. Don't the you level. think this was the style for how we talk about, you know, what 80s sitcoms are, the style and the whimsy. If you think about the Norman Lear show, think about 
think about Archie and, and Mike on All in the Family. Think about how kind of they were doing more of a loud theater piece that happened to be videotaped. Do you feel like this was more than than we got out of Archie and all that stuff on All in the Family? Uh, yeah, just I just feel like B. Arthur's just I just needed like somebody to be like, B, there's a microphone two feet above your head. <laughs> uh, the, the audience, you're not playing to the third balcony. Just I just needed that from her. But yeah. It's always funny when you hear uh, recordings of celebrities when they're younger and how much higher pitched their voices are, like listening to Charlotte Ray's comedy from the 60s yeah. and stuff. It is so funny to me to hear B. Arthur, and I'm sure she's playing it up here, but how she's really playing the grumble and the depth of her voice versus on Golden Girls. You can hear she's trying to keep it up. Well, Ma, I never said that about Blanche Rose. You can hear she's softening it in the Golden Girls. I, I don't know which of those is her actual voice. Maybe she was turning it up a little bit on both accounts. But um, you've heard me say before, I still watch Maude. I still look at her and say, I, I don't recognize her as being that same actress that we watch on the golden girls to me the character of course is very similar she's acerbic she's loud mouth and insulting when she wants to be but the fact that she is heavier when she's younger and grows to be a thin older woman in her golden years the fact that uh, she started going gray early and never touched it up. So the salt and pepper, I don't think was working, but the silver gray looks great on her. And, and there has been work done on the face. Uh, I, I still, to me, I'm like, this woman barely resembles the other actress that I uh, love on, on the golden girls. They're both brilliant. They're both fabulous. I, I really uh, sometimes struggle to see the connection. I don't know why that's a weird, stupid David brain thing. And I'll be honest, like, I, and I, I brought this down. I think we should make it clear and we should avoid getting too in the weeds about abortion. Mm -hmm. I, I just, we're not here to change anybody's mind. If you don't know what side of this issue our bread is buttered on after listening, you know what I mean? Like, we're not, we're here to discuss the historical relevance of the episode. I, do, I don't want to get too in the weeds about yeah. abortion. I, I, I honestly, I would have much rather had done the episode um, where she talks to the psychiatrist and it's, it's a B. Arthur monologue for a half hour when she turns 50. There's an episode where Maude talks to the psychiatrist and it's, it's fuck, some of the best writing mm -hmm. and acting that, that I've ever seen. But. And the end of that is on YouTube. Somebody literally pointed their camera at their TV screen. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. I don't think we need to get too much into the politics of it. And interestingly, this episode, two-part episode, doesn't really go there either. And I think that's uh, to be greatly commended. And uh, yeah, it's one of those like, please, we're, we're, we're two gay guys. We're two very, very liberal, lefty people and it's it's just like come on i i don't understand how this was ever a debate 
And the fact that there are men who are the governing bodies that are our Congress on our Supreme Court and all that, it's like, why Why would you even have a say in this? Why do you even, why, why do men have anything going on here? Because this is more than it is about the religious stuff and, you know, the beginning of life, you know, when does life begin at conception, all that stuff. It's an issue about women's health. It's an issue about a women, a woman's body and her ability to make uh, choices for her own health care and to advocate for her own body. And yeah, we won't, we don't need to go any further into that, but there, there it is. So if you're, <laughs> if you are at this point, if you're praying for us, you might want to turn off the rest of the episode, folks. So once again, the sitcom trope of having a housekeeper. A housekeeper. But she doesn't live there. Florida doesn't live with them. But we do have uh, this whole thing of, yeah, a later housekeeper does live. I think Mrs. Naugatuck does live with them, doesn't she? When they bring in Hermione that's, Badley. That's when everybody stopped watching. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we have we have Florida, the housekeeper. But the the approach that they use with it was interesting. When Maude hires Florida, the big thing is, yes, I'm employing you as my maid. And yes, you're a black woman. But I consider you an equal and I empower you. And I, I believe in the episode, you, you see it happen here. Florida comes and goes through the front door at Maude's insistence. Because the idea is that, no, 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 you are not a person being subjugated into using the back entrance. No, you enter me, you enter my home through the front door. And Florida's spin on it is, it's actually easier to come in the back door from the way I park my, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is, it is interesting how... Maude is, this is like the Brady Bunch. It's like, uh, Carol is a is a housewife homemaker. Yeah, they got six kids, but Maude is also a housewife. It's like, so what do these, I, I, you know, not to, I do not mean to belittle being a homemaker at all, but I'm kind of like being a homemaker, some argue is the most important job of all. Keeping the home, raising the children. Absolutely. So when you have a maid and or a live-in maid to do that, it's like, so what do you do then, wife? They play a lot of cards. They play. <laughs> they have bridge. They play bridge. Exactly. Okay. I'm going to stop being a, a, a fucking white guy right now and stop talking about that. The episode starts off with the mail coming in and this little interesting lecture from Carol where Florida asks, what is the deal with this MS appearing on your, on your mail? I see Ms. Carol. And Carol goes into the explanation of, well, men have missed her, but Mrs. And, and I, it's, I guess this is just very of its time. You know, Ms. Magazine started in 1971. So I, I guess this is of its time. But part of me is like, Really, Florida? Do you not know that MS is a thing as opposed to Miss versus Mrs.? But oh well, that is the least of hmm moments we have to explain in this episode. But no sooner do we have that exchange between Carol and Florida, and Vivian enters. 
Now, what people may not realize is this is the first time Vivian has ever entered the house or this show. The original concept of the show did not have a friend for Maud. It had Maud, her husband, her daughter, her grandson, and her maid. And it isn't until this, nine episodes in, when she has to deal with confiding in someone that she's unexpectedly pregnant at the age of 47. This is where they went, oh, fuck, she doesn't really have a, a friend that she would tell this stuff to. So we have Rue McClanahan. 38-year-old Rue McClanahan with her hair spray-painted gray, very little makeup on, an ugly-ass pantsuit, and they literally aged her because they wanted to use her, and she's great. She and B. Arthur are fabulous together, but how fucking weird that they were like, well, she, she couldn't be B. Arthur's friend. She's too young and too beautiful. We have to age and ugly her up. And so it is knowing Maud overall as a series and what Rue McClanahan looks like on the show. This was so jarring. I think the most jarring thing for me when Vivian showed up was her lack of Southern accent. Oh, (laughs) isn't it weird? Blanche is her Blanche is so natural. And because you know how I feel about bad accents, like her, Mm. her Blanche is so natural that it's actually weird for me to hear Rue McClanahan without a Southern accent. Yes, so true, so true. And oh, while we're speaking about accents, good God, you can tell B. Arthur came up in the 50s with with that, um, you know, the new, the sort of method acting, but still uh, you learn the elocutionary stuff. So B. Arthur always has liquid use. She always says, I was thinking of changing out the sofa and getting new carpeting. And the way she says, Walter, that schwa at the end, there's no R's. Granted, we are in New York. It's appropriate. But if you listen, B. Arthur has that perfectly elocutionary diction thing where there is not an R at the end of the word that is ever pronounced. And, and yet it works. It's, it's so interesting watching it in the context of the Norman Lear sitcom like that. It's, it's just interesting, but particularly the liquid use that, that one I think is kind of amusing. And okay. So while we're talking about B Arthur, I already talked about her appearance and all that. Uh, How about these costumes? Good God. The costuming. (laughs) I found a video on YouTube where the costumer did an interview and she said, B Arthur did not like to do fittings. She hated them, and her attention span was about three to three and a half minutes. So they literally took what she brought in, which was like a long vest, something that she had that was hers, and they said, we just kind of quickly stole it, traced it, did a pattern, and they just designed clothes that they knew were her size and just put them on her. And half the time, there were no fittings. She would just put on the costume right before the taping, apparently, because she fucking hated costume fittings. wonder if that well, was the same on the Golden Girls. Hmm. I, I don't think she... I, I mean, I just... Uh, what Did she hate her neck that much that everything had... Like, her nightgown had a scarf, for God's sake. <laughs> no, I know! What, really, B? Yeah. I didn't think she was that vain, but it's just... 
and Amazing. it might not have been her. It just might have been them saying, "Look at that fucking neck. We have that." We... Uh, again, this is this is network television. What an unlikely, bizarre star, central figure to have for a TV show to have this fifty-year-old, uh, not thin, not emaciated, not a former model like a Marlo Thomas fifty. This was a curvy 50-year-old woman who did not color her hair. Every gray showed in every close-up. And it's it just still blows my mind that it happened. And, I mean, bo- bravo. I mean, awesome. That's great. We need to see people of all shapes and sizes on television. But particularly for this era, it, it is so weird. And kind of similar to how we said about the way they costumed Blair, when Lisa Welchel was at a little curvier place in her life, this was someone who was just like, okay, well, she ain't skinny. What the fuck do we, how do we even costume a woman who isn't, you know, rail thin like a model? And it's just like, well, straight lines drop to the floor, put her on a vest, but the vest goes straight to the floor, create a vertical line. So the eye goes up and down and doesn't look side to side. And uh, wow. They they took that and they fucking ran with it, didn't they? Well, I don't know if running was involved. <laughs> yeah, they they walked briskly with it, and and in you know in the course of that created an iconic look. I mean, that was nobody dressed like like B. Arthur. It became that was sort of a, a style all her own, I guess, born of TV costumers going. We do not know how to costume a fat woman. Let's try this. And okay, wow. Hmm. Um, so then Maud comes home and Maud is deeply upset and screaming and shouting just like Matthew likes. And finally, when she settles down with Vivian, we get all of the exposition. We get this, <laughs> Maud, what is upsetting to you? You can tell me, am I your best friend or not? And Maud says, how long have we known each other? 22 years. And she says, six husbands, my four and your two. And we've been everything to each other all these years. Right, audience? This woman we haven't talked about in eight weeks? Yeah, we are such old friends. So I need to confide this in you because we are like sisters. So uh, you know I'm going to do this. Is it time now to talk about their ages? We've already kind of touched on it. Can we quickly, quickly go through this? Of course. Maud is supposed to be 47. Walter is supposed to be 49. Both of them are actually 50, just shaving a couple years off. In fact, Bill Macy is five days younger than B. Arthur. They were both born in May of 1922. Carol is 27. Adrian Barbeau is also 27. And her son, Philip, is eight years old. So this is interesting, meaning that a 27-year-old Carol has an eight-year-old son. So she had her baby at 19. And... If Maud is 47 and Carol is 27, that means Maud had her at 20. So uh, they both started uh, young, apparently. Florida, Esther Roll is 52. And remember, she would be going on to good times. John Amos has popped in and played her husband uh, or will come in later in the season. And remember, John Amos is 33, 19 years younger than his wife, And Good Times started in February of 74. And Vivian, her age is indiscriminate, but (laughs) Ruma Clanahan is 38. And so I guess they're trying to make her look 48. 
And as I've said before, they justify her change in appearance when they made her a regular at the beginning of season two by having her walk in and announcing she has had a facelift. And then they make the whole episode, and it might have been a two-parter, where Maude is considering going under the knife now. And it's all about feminist ideals and issues and beauty standards of women and all that stuff. It, it hits upon all those things. And uh, so they, they made it work for them. But nobody later on ever that I can recall ever said, Maude was a great show, but wow, wasn't Vivian, didn't she just seem a lot younger than Maude? Didn't that bother you? how she was just younger and hmm so thank you for that little diversion you know I love to go in about the ages that's a big thing for me but uh yeah we get the standard joke how many sitcoms how many plays have gone into the joke I'm pregnant oh my god how did this happen yeah and the slow burn we got it but truly it worked here it really did and when she does confide into in, to Vivian that she's pregnant, Rue McClanahan's reaction is fucking perfect. It is so like when you're like, oh, she's never been on the show before. She's never played this character before. God damn, Rue, you get all the props, all the snaps, girl, because she is great in this. It was some of the best acting she's ever done. My reaction. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I took a little bit of issue. I mean, who am I to insult Susan Harris's writing? But this is, I, I'm glad, obviously, she got better over the years. And there's some great writing in this episode. But there's just, there were quite a few scenes where it was like, you're, you're, you're beating this dead horse. You're just over and over again saying the same thing. And yeah, and I don't know if it's my 2022 ADHD, um, like MTV editing Mm -hmm. brain watching it now. But it was like, I was just like, Jesus, this. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) There there is some wheel spinning. I will give you that. There is some wheels, but particularly in part two, more so than in part one, I think. There's a but, scene with Carol where they must say the same thing like 15 different times. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Yes. Get this <laughs> scene going. And I mean, they use the joke. The rabbit died twice. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. time it gets a laugh, but she says it again later on. I was like, really? The yeah. same, the same joke. Yeah. Okay. The first one was the rabbit died, presumably of laughter. And the second time with Walter, she says, no, Walter, it's not a false positive. The rabbit died. And I think he says something like, I wish I was that rabbit. (laughs) Just come on. Yeah. Do people know what that means anymore? Do we have to explain to our audience what that means? No, we don't have to explain it to our audience. Okay. The rabbit test. (laughs) But also know that no, people don't know what that means anymore. But we still don't have to explain it to our audience. You can Google it. Rabbit test there. I I will agree with you. Yeah, the points where it kind of does kind of spin back round, spin back round. But remember, this is before A story and B story. This is when that did not happen. And we have a two-part episode with an A story, one story. I like to think of it as they give it a lot of breathing room. And we are really not used to that. 
I I really loved it. I really did. I'm not saying you're not wrong that there wasn't a little point of okay, we could we could move this along, but this to me again as as stage actors, I loved that this was essentially we were watching a play. This was you could have put this on a stage and and it played out brilliantly. There was it, it was so theatrical in its approach. And and in the breadth of the characters, yeah, that's that's a double-edged sword. I'm I'm aware. Let's go through that. Let's 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 get it out of the way. Uh, moments that we were like, Ugh. Walter choking on the chicken. Oh my god! And I don't mean that as a euphemism. Oh my god! Twenty minutes of Bill Macy choking with a doctor sitting right in front of him. And I guess the Heimlich wasn't a thing back then. We forget the Heimlich is a more recent development, but still. But the doctor, this man is choking. We need to force some bread down his throat. Yeah. Um, do we? Was that that's, a thing? I, I've never heard of that as a, as a um, thing. It's giving that's me some how bread? You choking? Shove bread down somebody's throat. Okay, doc. <laughs> and I thought I should have looked up when was the Heimlich invented because it's much funnier it would have been much funnier for conrad bain to do the hind lick on bill macy it's the heim lick with an m it's not the hind lick is is a is a different maneuver matthew oh dear i've been saying it wrong for years um (laughs) and i've been known to do the hind lick um, <laughs> who hasn't <laughs> oh. yeah, 20 minutes of him choking i didn't need that's another yeah. example of of them spinning their wheels he his reaction was the most unbelievable yeah and most ridiculous yeah um and the heimlich was first used in 1974 yeah i remember there being like a the super friends doing some of those public service commercials that they would do. One of them was Batman and Robin. And in hindsight, it's very funny. Batman and Robin doing well, the hind lick. Reach around them and press your hand into their belly button, Robin. Uh, and as I'm demonstrating on you right now. So yeah, the hind lick was not a thing yet. And, and the other thing is that uh, choking, choking as a theatrical anything is tough to pull off because... When you're choking, you can't. Your windpipe is closed off. You cannot speak. As they say, when someone's coughing, it's like, well, if you're, if you're coughing, you're not choking. Air is coming out. You've swallowed your spit the wrong way. So, yeah, this was very cringe for me watching that performance, thinking to myself, well, I guess the Heimlich wasn't a thing, but even still. The idea of choking is you do not have the gift of speech. You are literally just doing charades. And then you have like, oh, okay, what do you, you oh, two words, two words. Okay, what's the first word? And yeah. yeah. And and I think with the Heimlich, the other thing is that the international symbol for choking, the putting both of your hands around your own neck, I think that came with the Heimlich. I don't think that was a thing either. These were very different times. Well, and the fact that there was obviously no way for him to communicate to them in that 20 minutes. Yeah, that long, that long sequence. Choking. Jesus Christ, yeah. that went on for days. Um, and other writing I was not a fan of, in particularly in part two. The bulk of part one is just the unfolding of getting the information out and understanding what 
Maud is faced with as far as needing to make a choice because, uh, oh, and the, and the wording is it's legal in New York now, you know. Roe versus Wade was until 73. It hadn't been made legal on the national level through the Supreme Court yet. That was still coming down the pike. Another example of bad writing. I think four people in this episode say the words, it's legal now. Yeah. Uh, yes yes we we get it it's yeah do they ever say abortion i feel like it only i only think only one word once it comes out yeah and we didn't have euphemistic stuff like terminating the pregnancy or not carrying to term those are all more modern terms uh part two the whole second episode it really spends most of its time with a more tropey sitcom premise of Maud saying, I've decided I'm going to have the baby because Walter wants me to have the baby. Well, did you ask him? No, I don't need to ask him. I know him like the back of my hand because Walter's my husband. Yeah, we circled that airport way too much. Way too much. And then we see Walter having a drink with Arthur and Walter is like, well, uh, I think Maud's going to have the baby and I'm going to let her have the baby because I know she really wants to have it. And it's like, well, what, what, uh, Maud, are you sure you sure you want to have a baby? And it's like, yeah, I'm sure. I know Maud like the back of my hand, and I know my wife. She wants to have the baby. And finally, the <laughs> this is a big, big deal being given a little deal sitcom premise of like, you know, I thought you wanted to have a big anniversary party. I thought you wanted to elope. Well, I thought, you know, by the end of it, when they finally actually talk 22 minutes into the show and they lay their cards out in a beautifully honest scene. I think that final scene when they're really being brutally honest is some of the best of it. But when that finally happens, we finally, like you say, we've circled the airport. When we land that plane and he says to her, are you having the baby because you think I want you to? He says, becoming a father was never something I wanted to do. I love kids. They just don't have to be mine. I want you to have whatever you want, Maud. Does that include the baby? And Maud says, I thought it did when I thought you wanted to have it. And he says, I don't think it's a good idea. So she says, tell me that I'm doing the right thing, not having the baby. And the final words are, for you, For me and for the privacy of our own lives, you are doing the right thing. And then final, I love yous. And it's it's so beautiful and raw. It's also layered with this whole Walter was supposed to get a vasectomy that he didn't get. So it's the, whoa, I got to keep up the ruse that she thinks I got snipped and I didn't. I got to put up the lie. Whoa. But um. I, I really loved the final scene. Yeah. They play a lot of cards. I guess cards was really big in the 70s. They play a lot of cards. And Maud throws a lot of cards. <laughs> she does. Twice. When this, she shouts, she throws cards. <laughs> twice in this episode, bitch, threw cards. And I was again, I was like, we could mm-hmm. have given them something else to do. Like, yeah. What were cards that big? Like and I'm sorry, I, I feel like it's a sitcom trope as well, but does anybody play bridge? 
Well, does, does anybody know how does to play any, bridge? Does, does anybody actually play? Does the game even really exist? Because I don't believe it does in the real world. <laughs> I don't know anybody that is like, you know what? I love a good game of bridge. I, I, I mean, I just, do you know how to play bridge? Fuck no. Please. I what am I, 80? How right? dare you? We were just talking about, I, I knew how to play backgammon. When I was a kid, like we we learned it in school. I haven't, I could not play a game of backgammon right now. Never played dominoes. I have no fucking clue what canasta is. Hearing about canasta. It's just mod throwing her cards. How often do the do the teenagers on the facts of life play gin or bridge? It's like yeah. oof. We play crazy eights or something, something fun. Did you notice um what the fuck? She's like, I'm pregnant. Make mine a double. And nobody bats an eyelash. She says, I'm drinking for two now. And she has a fucking drink. I'm drinking for two. And then in the next episode, is black coffee good or bad for somebody in my condition? Bitch, you had a whiskey yesterday. (laughs) Now you're worried about. So I guess the Heimlich and the fetal alcohol syndrome hadn't been discovered no. yet but again this is around when you know it's a different we, time it was we that... used to play the game and all my baby pictures find mom's cigarette in the picture oh, yeah while she's so. pregnant with you oh yeah. totally yeah yeah my you know i have cousins my my mother's brother had five kids they're all my cousins they're all in their 60s now their their mother drank and smoked the entire pregnancy all five of them and yeah. they're you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more wrong with them than any of the rest of us. So uh, it's, it is so bizarre how we're just like, now a pregnant woman walks through a 10 minute old cloud of secondhand yeah. cigarette smoke and is like, oh my God, my baby's going to be deformed. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that is, it is pretty funny. That was of, of the many things of the, wow, very of its time, the drinking while pregnant, the, what is this Ms. thing before your name? And uh, yeah, coffee. Coffee isn't good when you're pregnant, right? Or caffeine isn't good? I've never been pregnant. Uh, oh, oh, wow. I'm sorry. I, I'm very embarrassed. Sorry about that. My ovaries are diseased. <laughs> So other good writing. Let's let's keep let's keep focusing on the good stuff. Name name another good thing that you liked. I have something, but I want to let you talk for a, a couple seconds first. My favorite line in the whole episode, oddly, um, belonged to Florida, and she said to Maud, "If you're sorry, I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great thing. A great thing to say. Yes. For how sassy their relationship is, for how she is literally there to be the sassy black woman, the sassy maid, a TV trope within a theoretically progressive show that, yeah, to have her be that uh, empathetic was actually lovely. And the The fact that they made Walter supportive, they could have added a whole other layer where Walter did want the child. And did, it was pressuring and, her to do something yeah. she didn't want to do. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that would have been so I, cringe. But I really appreciate that they made him supportive. And it, I think it would have been um, cheaper for them to kind of like they. It, this is pretty heavy handed, like everybody's just OK with with abortion. 
okay. Like she didn't get any pushback from anybody yeah. about it. And I think that would have been different today. Yeah. I think they would have absolutely had one person in the cast be like. And that would have been Arthur. Arthur, the the Republican, the one that he, his character is literally there to be the counterpoint to Maud's liberality. Yeah. So he would have been the one uh, probably to, to say that. But, um, but yeah, and nothing, nothing religious is ever brought into it. Florida could have been that voice. Uh, likely as a, you know, we know the character of Florida was somewhat religious. Um, I love this exchange late in the first half, part one of the show, while Maud is still kind of freaking out and it's kind of early in the breaking of this news. This is where Carol says, mother, don't be scared. It's a simple operation. And then she goes pretty deep into it. And she says, mother, I know when you were growing up, it was illegal, sinister, and dangerous. And you've never gotten over it. When you were young, abortion was a dirty word. It isn't anymore. You think about that, okay? And Maud does say, you're right. And the way that she says is, I've never gotten over it. That's a weird terminology. But it is addressing the fact that if Maud is 47, that means she was born in 1925. So, uh, yeah, that shit is, car. you and I know as people of a certain age, just being told that being gay is bad and wrong and how that shit never fully, ever completely leaves you when you grow up with those type of uh, values being beaten into you. So I, I really like that, that they did head on address that generationally speaking, a woman of Maud's age isn't just struggling with, do I want the baby? Do I not want the baby? It's if I choose to end the pregnancy, what does that mean? And how does that make me feel about myself? So I really, really appreciated that. <sighs> Could we talk about Conrad Bain, please? Could we talk more? Was that a pager in his pocket in the bridge scene? I think it was. I think, yeah, they did have pagers back then because he is a doctor. He, I don't know if he's like a fucking brain surgeon, but uh, the, the fact that when he comes in, Maud says, whatever you do, do not tell Arthur or he will laugh in my face. And she opens the door. <laughs> terribly acted. I'm sorry, Conrad, terribly acted. And he comes as, to use your own words, Matthew, he comes bounding in, mm. in his ascot. And at this point, he's a bachelor. He and Vivian, they haven't figured out that they want him and Vivian to become married. He's a, he's a little bit of a player, you know, because those 1970s hunks, yep. your Bernie Coppels, your fucking Dick Van Pattens. Your Gabe Kaplans. Yeah, your Conrad Baines. Those were the panty droppers. That were being offered to women back then. And that's what that's what dampened those nests, ladies and gentlemen. Oof. So, uh, yeah, so he was kind of supposed to be the live in the middle aged bachelor life as a, as a widower. He was a widower. I don't believe he had any kids, um, but I could be wrong about that. But the fact that he comes in and and he knows it's funny. I almost thought they were doing a misdirect where he laughs and Maude says, how did you find out? And he says, well, so-and-so told me when I was... And just whatever the fuck he was saying. And 
I thought it was going to be, well, don't tell Walter that I'm pregnant and have him go, wait, what? You're pregnant? I thought it was going to be one of those. I thought we were just talking about this other thing that I was laughing about that involved you. But in fact, it's like, nope, I'm a doctor and your gynecologist is in my building. And we tell each other secrets about our patients because it's 1972 and it's perfectly legal for us to do so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, of its time. Thank you, Logan Donahue, for bringing me up to speed that HIPAA is a Clinton era piece of legislation. It wasn't till the 90s. Yeah. Doctors couldn't do that, that a doctor, a doctor could have called Walter at home and said, hey, so your wife is pregnant and uh, here's a couple of things you might want to do. That, it's perfectly fine, acceptable, legal, unbegoddamn leaveable. Anyhow. Um, and Maude not even offended by Maude not even, Maude didn't even bat an eyelash at it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, you doctors, you, you talk amongst each, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. She should have been furious. <laughs> she should have thrown some cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we love to make connections uh, between the facts of life and whatever we're doing on TV Talkaholics. And of course, when Bill Macy appeared in Golden Oldies in season nine, that was when I went, oh, my God, we can do a mod episode. I was not prepared that in part two, while Walter and Arthur are at the bar, Arthur would introduce Walter to his friend who has had a vasectomy to tell him it's all very easy and good. And that that actor playing the role would be Robert Mandon. There he I was. love Robert Mandon, who would play Bruce Gaines on The Facts of Life and would be the man that marries Edna Garrett and takes her away from over our heads and the girls and... Uh, carts her off to the Peace Corps in Africa. So we have two connections to the facts of life. And I didn't even expect that second one. And uh, of course, soap wouldn't start until 76, I want to say. So we're still a few years away from Robert Mandon uh, becoming a, a regular on a popular show and making him a little more of a household face and a household name. But uh, even in this small role, my God, he always was just pitch perfect really he's also in an episode of the golden girls where he plays blanche's boyfriend so oh and see blanche i'm sorry rue mcclanahan is only in part one of this and robert mandon is in part two so they just missed each other like ships yeah. passing in the night and uh talking about a vasectomy making that a big thing and you know oh you know uh, but walter it's not a very big thing it's just an operation just snip 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 and it's over and it's like the whole, ah, yeah. have you ever known anyone who had a vasectomy? I don't know. It's not something we got uh, contrary to what sitcoms will have you believe. And maybe I've just never been in the room when it happens. <laughs> I don't think it's something that men just sit around and talk about. Oh, I don't well, know that though. I don't well, have, you know, well, let me put it this way. I, I do know a man who has had a vasectomy and it actually is, a, you know, the idea of snip, snip and, you know, think, talking about your balls and stuff like that. It really is a simple operation. And it was just a few days of sense, like, you know, like you've just been kicked in the balls, a few days of soreness, sensitivity. You take pain meds for it. You just got to take it easy. You're not going to be running any marathons. But um, yeah, a vasectomy is really <laughs> a fairly uh, simple procedure. 
and uh, and more men should get them if and they know they're not going to want to have kids and then then women don't have to worry about making uh, decisions like this. Oh, oh, another thing. Here's just another um, thing of its time. I guess not really of its time, but uh, Carol does say to Maud, weren't you using the pill? Because that was the big form of birth control after, you know, 1960 when that came along. And Maud says, no, it gives me migraines. And then one of them says, what were you doing then? Crossing your fingers? And then Carol says, don't tell me you were using some type of old fashioned method. Yeah. Which I assume she's talking about the rhythm method, meaning oh, it's okay. We can just look at the calendar and time this out. And if we don't fuck on certain days, I'm not going to conceive. Uh, but then they do talk about IUDs. So, uh, and, and a little bit about the fact that history shows that IUDs were used in what? Ancient Greek or Roman times? Like they've been around a long time. Yeah. But again, it's, you know, women having to be the ones responsible for birth control, not men. And, and I appreciated that they included that, that it was because one of the arguments against abortion is it's, well, it's too easy. Women are just going to use this as a form of birth control and blah, blah. And it's like, I, I can't speak for women, but I, I just feel like the idea of, well, if I have to have, you know, five or 10 abortions because I just want to sleep around a lot and I might get pregnant. Well, that's okay with me. I feel like I don't imagine those are words that are spoken by any uh, woman in this country. No, it's again, conjecture. We are two white guys talking about the subject matter that men really have no say in as far as I'm concerned. We're two white men that don't even fuck women. Yeah. One of the advantages of being a homosexual. No pregnancy scares. Mm -mm. And if you do have one, something is very wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I want to say is we talked about the, the costumes, the aesthetic of the show being quintessentially 1972. The living room is fine. The living room certainly looks dated, but wow, when they walked into that kitchen, I was not prepared. I had forgotten. Oh yeah. It was Brady Bunch special, dark, dark mahogany wood with bright pumpkin orange counters. Yeah. And that was the height of chic in 72. It was just, man, wow. That house, by the way, her house is um, in Claremont, California. The exterior shot, you mean? Yep. Is it? Yep. All the dated references aside, to me, they weren't even dated. It was just certainly to remind you it was of its time. Uh, like I said, those, those complaints I have in the writing, this was a 1972 three-camera sitcom, and they tackled this subject matter. Holy shit. I, I almost don't begrudge the fact that the whole second half was just a misunderstanding standard plot line because of what they were talking about, the bigger ideas of the show. I genuinely loved watching this again, and I was still to this day, I was impressed uh, at how they handled it. What are your final words about it, Matthew? I mean, it... I just can't believe, I just spent the whole time unable to comprehend that 50 years later, because oh. this was 50 years ago. Legitimately, yes. If that doesn't make you want to jump off a bridge. 
This was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And how backwards we have gotten. Mm-hmm. How, like you would think that this would be almost laughable to watch an episode about a woman making this decision. Yeah, that it took so point. long that as it was, oh my God, it was as late as 1973 that yeah. it was made legal nationally. And, and the fact that it's not anymore. No, that, that yeah, Roe v. Wade being recently struck down, by the way, for those who don't kind of get what, what makes this such a uh, timely, if not timeless, uh, approach is the fact that it's like we are back to a time where if Maude was not in New York, if this took place in another state somewhere in the Midwest, it would have been like, well, this is an option but you can't do it here. You have to travel somewhere. You have to go out of state or you have to go to this doctor named Ralph who does his surgeries out of an alley downtown. So the last thing is, the last bit I want to do before we sign off here is it has been spoken by Norman Lear that live in front of a studio audience We've done All in the Family. We've done Good Times. We've done The Jeffersons. We've done Different Strokes and The Facts of Life. Norman Lear has said he thinks the time for a rebroadcast of this episode certainly has come, that this would be a a timely thing to consider bringing back. And and I totally agree. (sighs) But good God, who could you imagine playing the roles? Who could you imagine the actor? Who could be Maude nowadays? Uh, Everybody that I think of is too old. Mm -hmm. My thoughts were Alice and Janney probably could do it. And, but Alice and Janney is 62, 63. Yeah. Granted, she looks better than B. Arthur did at 50 in this episode. I thought Gina Davis could do it because I just recently saw an interview with Gina Davis. And have you heard her lately? No. Oh, so <laughs> uh, I'm 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 Gina Davis. Wow. And, uh, it's it was I was like, what happened? But uh, then I realized. Say hello to my friend Kathleen Turner. Yeah, so I realized she's almost seventy. Um, yeah. Well, that's it. If Maude is supposed to be forty-seven and the actress playing her is fifty. We're talking the cast of Friends is too old. Courtney Cox, Jennifer Aniston, Lisa Kudrow, they are too old or they would be the age that they would probably lean toward to pass for 47. Yeah. And Lisa Kudrow would be interesting. I don't think she'd be good, but I think it'd be very interesting. She's 60. That's right. I realize I've had time to think about this, but Alice and Janney, and also Alice and Janney is six foot tall. Like they wouldn't have to deal with the height issue. Like I think she would fucking crush it. And uh, yeah, t- ugh, tiny little bit old, but it's that thing of she's 62. I think she could pass for a Hollywood 47. Really? I'm just looking up what actresses are 47. Or 50. B. Arthur was 50. You know, those, those three years, what a difference. Angelina Jolie is 47. Oh my God. Kate Winslet is 47. Holy shit. Drew Barrymore. Oh, that hurts so bad. Little Gertie. No, you're my little baby. You're little Gertie. (laughs) 
Oh my God. This is who's going to do it. Who? Caitlin Olsen. Caitlin Olsen. <gasps> she could be Maud. She could be Maud. She, I think she reads a little young, but if she's the right age, she should fucking do it. And you know what? I think she would be really good in the TV show Hacks. I think they could use her. Oh, my God. You know who else is 47? Sarah Gilbert. Oh. Oh, wow. But Sarah Gilbert, I think, is only about three foot tall. She's a little. All right. So any other final final thoughts, final words? If nothing else, Maude gave us one of the greatest theme songs in the history of television. So. God damn, it is brilliant. And if you haven't watched the Family Guy version, I urge you pull it up on YouTube when they talk about the long version. <laughs> it's very, very funny. And uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up for TV Talkaholics. Uh, Maude as a TV show, uh, Talkaholic Chips, I think it's a solid four. But for this episode, I'm giving it five. I think it, it, it using the, the framework of a standard sitcom to take on what it took on and to do so uh, fairly and not bring politics and religion into it, I, I give this, this is five talkaholic chips for me. Maud's always going to get, well, again, as much and as much as I love B. Arthur, it's just she needed a again, it was the times. Yeah. No director at that time was gonna say, I need it a little less broad. Nobody it, no. was gonna yeah. say that. Dial it back. Words never heard in the 1970s. You know what? Adrian Barbeau in particular. By the way, Adrian Barbeau, original Rizzo in Greece on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Uh, she has has a broad acting style as well where she always, like, she's standing next to you and going, mother, don't you know it's legal now? That's yeah. right. You don't need to feel shame. She's playing to the back rafters, too. I'm going to lump her together with a couple other actresses that I feel do the same type of thing, all in the 1970s. Adrienne Barbeau, Bonnie Franklin, on One Day at a Time, always a little extra broad, and Marcia Strassman in Welcome Back, Cotter as the wife yeah. as far as gay would be telling a joke and she'd be like what and your uncle walked out of the brothel <laughs> well then what did they do it's like jesus christ lady yeah suzanne plachette as well and in, in newhart always very pointed now i don't remember that show as much huh but yeah even laverne and shirley again the three camera shows they weren't playing to the cameras. They were playing to the audience and they took, they found theatrical actors and uh, it was just really of the time. So, uh, and it's funny how some actors, it bothers me. Some actors, it doesn't. I'm the first to say I'm, I'm fickle like that, but uh, yeah. Well, this seems to be wrapping us up again. Yeah. Happy November. Hope you had a fantastical Halloween. We hope you folks have a terrific Thanksgiving and uh, we are going to be back next month with another show. And once again, we can officially confirm we have no idea what the fuck it's going to be. No idea. No idea. Nope. All right. Want to say your goodbyes, Matthew, darling. Bye.
Okay. Well, that wraps it up. And thank you, Tutti Fruities, for supporting the show. We love you. And we'll talk to you again next month. Mwah. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the fourth. Don't you call in the.